This morning we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, and we're about to pick up at verse 14 of Mark chapter 7. We're going to be asking the question uh, about what goes in and comes out of your life, and we'll see this addressed in the words that Jesus says here in this passage. So Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 14, this is what we read. It says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to look at your word together today. And as we look at this portion of scripture from the gospel of Mark, we pray that you'd help us to understand the things that are coming out of our life, the things that are going into our lives, the things that are reflected at the core of our being. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to think about these things today, and we're thankful, Father, for the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have the privilege to meditate on right now. So, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would prepare our minds and our hearts to receive the, the teaching of your Word today, and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how do you know what you really believe? How do you know what you really believe? Or for that matter, how do you know what anyone believes? Our beliefs are made visible by what comes out of our lives. So the things coming out of our lives demonstrate what we actually believe. You could see what I believe uh, demonstrated by my attitude. You could see what I believe demonstrated by my actions. The sincerity of my beliefs is going, they will be demonstrated by the outward fruit of my life. And the same is true for you. Uh, I was recently, and maybe some of you heard this interview because it was actually done this week, although I'll reference it somewhat anonymously, but this week I was, I was listening to an interview between a journalist and a, a powerful foreign leader. So I was listening to this interview, and the journalist asked the leader a variety of questions, including a few questions about his faith, which I thought was rather interesting because the, the journalist brought up Jesus and brought up this person's faith, and in some circles, the leader that was being questioned by this journalist in some circles, that leader has a reputation for brutality and violence, but he responded to the journalist, and he said, when he was asked about his faith, he said, I'm a Christian, and the journalist pushed back a little bit in this moment, and he wondered how this leader, and he directly asked him this, he, he said, I, I wonder how you could call yourself a Christian when it doesn't appear that you follow the teaching of Jesus or the ways of Jesus and how you interact with other people. And I wondered what this leader's reply would be, and, and he indicated that he didn't really see a connection between the beliefs a person holds in their heart and the actions that they take on the world stage as they deal with other people. And I thought that was very interesting, also somewhat timely in, in relation to 
this particular passage of Scripture that we're looking at, because anyone who has ever taken a serious look at what we're taught in Scripture, anyone who has ever taken a serious look at that can plainly see that the Lord desires integrity in our lives. He wants to see integrity in your life, my life, all of our lives. He wants us to demonstrate on the outside things that match what's actually taking place within us. And likewise, when you think about the changes that he fosters within us, he wants the way we conduct ourselves privately and publicly to match the changes that he's fostering within us. And during the time of Christ's earthly ministry, these concepts of spiritual integrity, the type of things that we're talking about here, how, you know, this idea of being the same person publicly and privately, the same person on the outside that we are on the inside, these concepts of spiritual integrity, these were not concepts that were highly embraced by those who in that culture were oftentimes believed to be the most spiritual people. And so in the portion of Scripture we're looking at today, Jesus addresses this issue. And he brings this up, starts off by saying these words in Mark 7, starting with verse 14. He says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So this is something Jesus was trying to help this group of people to understand as he was speaking these words in this context. Now, prior to speaking these words, the Scripture tells us, as you look earlier in the chapter, that there were Pharisees, so they were the religious elite of the day. There were Pharisees and scribes that had come to observe Jesus, and they had also come to observe his disciples. And their goal wasn't to be there to learn. We looked at this last week, in fact. Their goal was really just to pick apart his ministry. They wanted to find something critical that they could say about what he was doing and, and who he was. They were also, and it becomes very clear as the Gospels uh, develop this thought, but they were very jealous of the attention that he was getting. So they came with a critical spirit because instead of people going to them at this point as the authorities on spiritual matters, they noticed that thousands and thousands and thousands of people were traveling from all over to hear Jesus speak because they viewed him as the authority on these issues, particularly as he was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting demons out of people, speaking with authority. They wanted to hear what he had to say. The crowds did, but the Pharisees and the scribes, they came with a critical spirit, and they wanted to critique Jesus. They wanted to critique his disciples, and we're told earlier in this chapter that one of the primary areas of critique that they addressed was the fact that the disciples did not follow ceremonial hand regulations like uh, for washing, like ceremonial hand washing regulations, even though these regulations were not required commonly in Scripture. There were certain re requirements for the priests, but not for the general population. But the Pharisees had these ceremonial hand washing regulations that they expected everyone to follow, and so many devout Jews in their culture would follow these things. And they looked at the disciples, and they see the disciples doing what they're doing, and they're saying, you're not following the ceremony for this. And by the way, this wasn't just about something having to deal with sanitation. This was about making external demonstrations of your righteousness. And the Pharisees, when if you analyze their beliefs, if you looked at the things that they believed about how a person could be defiled or how a person could be spiritually unclean. They believed that a person could defile themselves if somehow they ingested something that was either considered ritually or ceremonially unclean. That was their belief. So they're thinking, hey, go through these regulations, go through these ceremonial hand-washing practices. It will potentially prevent you from becoming ceremonially unclean based on what you end up ingesting. And so what they ended up doing was they would take Old Testament regulations regarding foods that were acceptable and foods that were unacceptable. They would take those regulations to a new level here. 
And they would make all sorts of added levels and added steps about how those teachings were supposed to be applied. And basically, their words and their actions demonstrated that they actually cared much more about the ceremonial defilement of, of the body, more so than they were concerned with the spiritual defilement of the heart. They cared about the outward signs of different things, more so than they cared about what was going on in a person and what a person's relationship with the Lord actually demonstrated. And so when Jesus addressed this issue, I get the impression that his words surprised the crowd. Jesus was saying things that were different from what their religious leaders were teaching. And so I think what he said surprised the crowd, and this crowd's listening to him, they're thinking, wow, this is different. This is not what the leaders typically teach us. But also you get the impression when you look at this chapter that his words surprise the disciples as well because when they're in a private place, you have the disciples saying, hey, could you elaborate on that a little bit further because that's different even for us. You've got the benefit of the doubt from us, Jesus, but maybe you explain that a little bit because this isn't what we're typically taught. And when you look at um, the disciples and Jesus as they come into a private place, Jesus explains this a bit further. When you look at verse 17, it says, and when he had entered the house... And left the people, so it's now in a more closed, private location. His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? So, and, and by the way, it also says right after that, thus he declared all foods unclean, or thus he declared all foods clean after he said these words here. And basically, if you look back, I don't know how much time you spend looking back at the Old Testament scriptures. You ever take time working through the, uh, the books of the law, typically. So we're right now at the start of a new year. And right now, we're, we're at a point in time of the new year that people that begin Bible reading plans tend to drop off. People will read Genesis, then they'll get into Exodus, and by the time they get to Leviticus, they tend to drop off. But if you're reading through the Old Testament regulations, if you're actually doing a Bible reading plan and you happen to be in the book of Leviticus right now, you'll find various dietary regulations. Now, I don't know if that excites you. Maybe some of you, it does. I don't know if that would be something that you'd be like, ah, maybe I'd just skip over this. I'd encourage you not to skip over it, but at the same time, understand that I imagine for most people it's not the most exciting reading, uh, but just the same, when you look at what it, what it means, the meaning is very exciting. And in particular, you have places like Leviticus chapter 11. When you get into Leviticus chapter 11, you'll actually find various foods that were considered clean and unclean during the era of the Old Covenant. And so you have a, a delineation that's made between clean and unclean foods. And by the way, when you look at those regulations, understand this. These were temporary regulations regarding food. They were only ever meant to be temporary regulations. These were not regulations that were followed before the Old Covenant was inaugurated. These are also regulations that were not meant to be followed after the Old Covenant was fulfilled. These are not regulations, by the way, that continue now that we live under the New Covenant. But... People at the time had a hard time understanding that. Now, I'll show you very briefly uh, a portion of Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11 goes into all sorts of details, and if you want to read the whole thing, please feel free to do so. But look at just the first four verses. There it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat 
among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the, animals, among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. And then it goes into a detail of the animals not to eat. So it talks about animals you can eat, animals you can't eat. And when you look at things like that, I'll admit to you, sometimes when I read through some of the Old Testament ceremonial regulations and some of the things that the people that were devout believers during that era of history had to handle or deal with, it makes me particularly grateful to live under the new covenant. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, we have a church lunch today. I, there, I scoped it out. There are some foods down there that don't fit with the regulations of Leviticus 11. So if you eat them, just understand that you too are probably grateful that you live under the, the new covenant. And this is a day you get to practice that. And if you want to make sure, you, you know, just test what you're eating. Read Leviticus 11 before you go down there and eat from the buffet. All right. But have you ever wondered what the point was that the Lord was trying to illustrate through Old Testament dietary regulations? Because they weren't there just to make life burdensome. They weren't there just to give added details because God didn't know what to do on a particular day. And he's like, ah, let me make up some rules. That wasn't the point of what he was giving here. The major point of these restrictions that, again, were only ever meant to be temporary, but the major point of these temporary restrictions was not to convince people that they could be made spiritually healthy by what they ate or by what they didn't eat. That wasn't the concept that was being communicated here. The bigger point was actually to try and help people understand something about the holiness of God. And this was holiness that he wanted to see demonstrated among his people, people that were called out from among all the people on this earth. So God was trying to show us something about his holiness, something about his character. And you had these ceremonial laws that he gave related to food that illustrated the line that's drawn between holiness and evil between being cleansed of sin or remaining under the wrath of God because of the presence of sin in our lives. And so you look through the Old Testament, you see some of those regulations, you see lots of them in Leviticus 11, but there's some referenced elsewhere. And when you look at what Jesus came to this earth to do, he didn't come to this earth to keep those temporary restrictions in place. He came to this earth to fulfill them completely and to be the point for which they were actually given in the first place. Jesus came and fulfilled the spiritual and the legal and the ceremonial regulations of the Old Covenant. He fulfilled that in His person and in His ministry. And through faith in Jesus, Scripture makes it very clear to us that we become holy and blameless in the eyes of God. It's one of my favorite things that Scripture tells us. It tells us that in Ephesians chapter 1, that in the eyes of God, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are made holy and blameless. That that's how the Lord looks at you, and that's how the Lord looks at me, if we have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning, the defilement of sin is removed from us, and it's replaced with the gift of Christ's righteousness. That's such a gift, such a wonderful thing. Now, the presence of ceremonially clean and ceremonially unclean animals, it actually, in some respects it demonstrated the reality of the human condition. Because when you think about the nature of humanity, either we believe in Jesus and we're forgiven of sin through the application of the atonement that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, or we persist in our unbelief and we remain condemned and unclean. Those are the two options that humanity is given. Either we trust in Jesus 
and we are declared to be righteous in the eyes of God, completely cleansed of sin, or we remain in sin. We remain under the wrath of God for all eternity. Those are our options. And after many generations of practicing the dietary regulations regarding clean and unclean animals, it actually took a while. When you look through the New Testament, it seems to take a while for well-meaning believers to understand the point of what that ceremonial regulation was actually trying to illustrate. It took them a while to feel comfortable changing the way they ate. But when you look at, particularly in the book of Acts, eventually the followers of Christ accept this teaching. And even Peter, and I find this very interesting because Peter is present for the things taking place in Mark chapter 7, and he was present for this explanation that Jesus was giving them, specifically the fact that food we eat isn't what defiles us, rather it's the sin that's present within us that comes out of our lives that does the defiling. It, it took Peter a while to understand what that meant, because even when you go into the book of Acts, so you have Jesus, imagine, like Jesus has now directly taught Peter that all foods are now clean. All foods are now clean. Because the point of that illustration is now fulfilled in Christ's ministry. But Peter still didn't get it. And you find yourself sometime later, maybe a year, year and a half, two years later, you have the events taking place in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, you have a, a, a very devout uh, non-Jewish man who is looking at people and saying, you know, I want to honor God and I want to be kind to people. And the Lord speaks to this man. And uh, in Acts chapter 10, it tells us a little something about what took place as, as uh, uh, this centurion was given an understanding that he needed to seek outside help and outside intervention to speak into a situation. But in Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 9, it says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. So before I even read from uh, another verse from Acts chapter 10, understand Peter's dilemma. He's thinking, now wait a second, like, I've grown up keeping these Old Testament dietary regulations. I've avoided the animals, I've avoided the foods that I was told are unclean. And Peter, by the way, is also Mark's main source, giving him this information uh, about the things that had taken place during Christ's ministry and the things Jesus taught and the things that Peter had the opportunity to hear. So multiple times he's hearing these things and he's being exposed to these things, but he's still apparently, even sometime later, because these are events that take place sometime after Christ's resurrection and ascension back to heaven and, and uh, all those things, and you still have Peter saying, I don't eat unclean foods, even though Jesus has now said, look, it's all clean. It's all clean. You're good. You could eat that stuff. Those are only temporary regulations. Peter's still having this dilemma because in this vision, he's being told, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. All kinds of animals, reptiles, birds of the air, things that fell into the categories of don't eat this stuff, according to the Old Testament. But now, they're, now he's being told, eat it. Eat it. Enjoy. And he says, I, I didn't, I've never eaten this stuff. 
Like, I would never eat this stuff. And multiple times he's told this, and the voice comes to him a second time saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. So what was Peter supposed to learn from this? So he was, basically what the Lord was doing was he was setting Peter up to understand, listen, I know that you think that the gospel is only supposed to go to your Jewish brethren, but you're going to be sharing the gospel in the home of an unbeliever, or excuse me, in the context of a Gentile who, who, is, who has become a believer. Somebody who has lived outside of the fellowship that you would be willing to associate with, now you're going to be asked to go into his house and actually talk to him and his friends and his family. And so in Acts chapter 10, you have Peter invited into that person's home. And that, that man, he has a whole bunch of people all around him. And he's like, all right, tell us. Like, tell us what you're supposed to tell us from God. And he preaches the message of the gospel, and he helps them all to understand. And Peter's like, this is new for me. I used to avoid you guys. I used to avoid the food you ate. I used to avoid you. I didn't want to be considered unclean. I looked at it, and I was like, that would defile me to hang out in the, the home of a, of, of a Gentile. Why would I ever go into a Gentile's home? I thought I was supposed to avoid you guys. And now the Lord's indicating to me that I'm actually supposed to spend time with you and that you too can become people who inherit the gift of salvation through faith in Christ. And so Peter was told, and he, he, like these things were made known to him, and then when you get to verse 28 of Acts 10, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He's finally getting it. He's finally understanding the point of these Old Testament regulations. They were illustrating the difference between evil and holiness, separation from the promises of God and acceptance into his kingdom. And here you have the Lord saying, let everybody know. You know, initially I worked through the nation of Israel. I said, be separate. And then as that season was fulfilled, what what were they to do? Now go to all the other nations with the message of the gospel and let them know they're invited as well. And so you have Peter here saying, the Lord's told me. God has shown me I should not call any person common or unclean. That shouldn't be how I think of people. That shouldn't be how I talk to people. I have to say, what a blessing. What a relief to know that through Jesus, we who were once alienated from God, we who were once living for ourselves, embracing the things of this world, can be made clean. Scripture reveals to us that we are completely made new in Christ. New creations in Christ. A couple of years ago, I was asked to do something unique. I was actually asked by the Christian Authors Network to help judge a speaking competition. And I'd never done something like that before. And I thought, okay, so what's the, what are the parameters for this? And I think there were 11 speakers that were going to speak. Myself and a panel of judges had, had to judge these speakers. And these speakers were from various places throughout the country. Many of them incorporated their personal testimonies into their speeches. It was very interesting and very edifying to hear some of these things. And it took much of a day. And one particular speaker, I actually think it was the first speaker that went in the whole list, but one particular speaker, she started speaking, and you realize from listening to the things she was talking about that she had a very difficult and very dark past. And she shared some things that I thought, I I couldn't help but feel compassion that anyone had gone through these things. But in her speech, she shared about her experience with sex trafficking. Uh, She talked about the fact that she had run away when uh, she was young, so She ran away from home, and she was actually trafficked for several years before she got help to get out of that situation. But then after getting out of that situation, she soon drifted back toward a life in the adult entertainment industry because she felt like it was the type of life that she was most familiar with, and so she ended up drifting right back to that. 
And at the time, she also indicated that this was also where she felt like she was being shown the most value or the most appreciation. And so she said it felt kind of easy for her to just drift back into that life. But she also admitted that in the midst of all of that, she thought quite poorly of herself. She hated herself. She thought of herself, she said, as disgusting and dirty and defiled, all these things. And she said that in the midst of that season, she also started using a lot of drugs. She also started drinking a lot of alcohol. And what she was trying to do was mask her pain. She was trying to not think about how bad she felt about herself or how dark or how dirty she felt like she was. But in the midst of all of this, one of the beautiful things in this story was the fact that in the midst of her, her darkest and her lowest moments, someone took the opportunity to share the message of the gospel with her. And she trusted in Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest comforts she has said, now she does a lot of, she, she writes, she does a lot of evangelistic work, all of these things. And she says one of the greatest comforts that she's experienced since coming to know Jesus has been the reassurance of how she is truly seen in his eyes. As she reads the word of God and she sees that she's described as holy and blameless in the eyes of God, that was a very hard thing for her to believe for a long time. Scripture reveals that through the blood of Jesus that was shed on her behalf, she's been made clean. And over time, this is how she's gradually begun to start to see herself. And she says that now she knows she isn't distant from God. She isn't unclean any longer. She's been made a new creation in Christ. And again, the Lord continues to reassure her daily that he welcomes her into his presence. And I, I loved hearing her testimony because I think that's something we all need to hear. Maybe your life, maybe your circumstances weren't uh, as drastic or maybe as dark in some ways as some of the things that she went through, but you've gone through your own stuff. And Scripture reveals to us what God has made clean, don't call common or unclean, including yourself. What God has made clean, don't call common or unclean. No matter what your story may have been up to this point, understand that Jesus delights to forgive you, to cleanse you, to give you a right standing before the throne of God. What God says is clean, don't call common. What God says is clean, don't call unclean. And Jesus elaborates further when you look at verse 20 of Mark 7. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, if the spiritual condition of our hearts was closely examined by somebody else, what would they find? If someone was given the ability to just look at the spiritual condition of each of our hearts, what would they find? And I ask that because it's the idea of, are, are we good at putting on an outward act? You know, are we good at putting on an outward act while our heart is actually far from Christ and desperate, truly in need of redemption, living separate from Him? Are we just good at making it look like we're spiritual? Are we good at making it look like we're focused on the right things? Or are we actually distant from the Lord? Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it's what comes out of a person's heart that defiles them. It's not the food they ingest. It's what comes out of a person's heart that defiles them. It's what comes from our hearts that reveals what's in our hearts to begin with. That's what he's saying. 
The things that come out of your heart, that's going to reveal what's in your heart to begin with. So if your heart, if your heart is consumed with evil thoughts and intentions, then that's what will eventually come out of your life. If we're filled with lust, we'll embrace sexual immorality. If we're filled with greed, we'll gravitate toward theft or overconsumption. If we're filled with pride, we'll elevate ourselves above others and maybe even consider serving others beneath us. Whatever's in our heart, that's what's going to come out in our lives. It's going to come out in our words. It's going to come out in our attitudes. It's going to come out in our actions. And I would encourage us, when you think about things to pray about, ask the Lord to reveal to you what your heart is really drawn to. Ask him to reveal to you what your heart's really drawn to. Seek his powerful intervention. Ask him to point your wandering heart to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because in Jesus you will discover every sin is forgiven, every unmet need is met. Christ will satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. And what we tend to do as people is oftentimes we'll look at the things of this world We'll recognize a void, we'll recognize a need in our life, and we'll look to something in this world to fill it, and we'll realize very quickly, you know what, it didn't really fill that need, did it? And so instead of looking to Christ to fill that need, sometimes we'll spend more time trying to find additional things in this world or more of the first thing that we were looking for until we finally get to the end of ourselves and we realize, none of this is going to satisfy me. The things of this world will never satisfy me. I I will always seek more of it. I'll find myself in destructive and unhealthy patterns trying to consume things that shouldn't be consumed until I recognize that only Christ can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. And I think that's something worth praying about, asking the Lord to reveal to us what we're really drawn to and then asking him to show us that he indeed is sufficient. Now, Jesus speaks a lot about the heart during the course of his earthly ministry. He would talk about it all the time. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's one of my favorite portions of Scripture. But in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you've heard this. I'll share this to you two different ways. One way is like this. In Matthew 5, verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's he talking about? saying you have a whole bunch of people that think that the external is all that matters. What we demonstrate visibly, as long as we go through the motions, that the heart doesn't matter. And Jesus is saying, no, any action you and I take demonstrates what's really going on inside of us. And he's saying, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you ever hear how C.S. Lewis summarized this? Do you ever hear his take on this? This is C.S. Lewis's take. He says, he that but looketh at a plate of ham and eggs to lust after it hath already committed breakfast with it in his heart. This is what C.S. Lewis said. It's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. I'll say it again. He that but looketh at a plate of ham and eggs to lust after it hath already committed breakfast with it in his heart. It's a perfect summary, isn't it? Or a good analogy, especially on a day like today, we're going to be eating a whole bunch of food downstairs. Uh, But even when we're just talking about the things that come out of our hearts, it's useful to think about. I think it's comical, but it's poignant. His point is made, right? And what's the point he's trying to make? Same thing that Christ makes in Matthew chapter 5. Same thing that Christ is talking about in Mark chapter 7. The point is that the intentions of the heart matter. The intentions of our heart matter. And what Christ is doing for you and for me 
is he's inviting us to have hearts that are not resistant to his loving direction. He's inviting us to have hearts that are fully devoted to him, not just partially. If you've been on the sidelines, if you've been one of those people just kind of skating around the edge, I'd encourage you to just go full in. Become fully devoted to Christ with complete sincerity. I promise you, you won't regret it. You will discover how vain the attempts that you were making really were to find satisfaction for the deepest longing of your soul through anything that this world can supply. Anything this world can supply can be taken away. Anything that this world can supply can be worn out or lost or ruined or ruin you. But Christ doesn't disappoint us. He tries to help us to understand that we will not regret fully devoting ourselves to him with complete sincerity because not only does he fix the externals and fix all the things going on around us, he fixes the heart. He doesn't... doesn't, He doesn't just leave you with the same heart that you had. He gives you a new one. He gives you his. He gives you his to replace the one that you had that was broken. In Christ, we're made new. Scripture talks about the fact that our hearts of stone have been softened in Christ. We've been prepared to trust the guidance of our Savior. And so let me just encourage us to do this as we finish up together. Submit your heart without reservation, to the Lordship of Christ today. Don't hold anything back. Sometimes, for some people, this is a process where it takes time to recognize that this is indeed good counsel. For others, they find themselves at a spot where they're like, you know what, I've literally tried everything else I could think of this side of heaven, and I could testify that that didn't work. So now I'm ready to trust Christ but I'd encourage you to submit your heart without reservation to his lordship today. And you'll see that the heart that he gives you will be brand new. The perspective that you have will be refreshed. You will see with the eyes of Christ. And you'll go through life not just trying to look good, but you'll have confidence that in the eyes of God, you're seen as holy and blameless and part of his kingdom forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all you reveal to us in your word. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that in the midst of all the different things that we deal with this side of heaven, we know that you're present with us. We're grateful for the fact that you love us. We're grateful for the fact that that you desire to make us new people, new men, new women. People who see things differently, people who have changed hearts, people who have a life that is completely different from the life that we had apart from you. Lord, at one point we lived under condemnation. At one point we lived in rebellion to you. At one point we were trying to seek the things of this world to satisfy eternal longings. And many of us have scars and sorrows and regrets that we could testify to of just how far it took before we learned the lesson to realize that those things won't work. But Lord, thank you for teaching us the lesson. Lord, we're sorry that we drift. We're sorry that we rebel. You knew that ahead of time. That's not a surprise to you. Nothing we've ever done is a surprise to you. And neither is it a surprise to you that you have given us redemption, that you've given us new life through your son, Jesus Christ. And neither is it a surprise to you that 
the work you prepared for us before the foundation of the, the world is something that's just held right before us and we're given the opportunity to participate in it. We who once thought of ourselves as defiled and unclean and distant from you, and for good reason we thought that because that absolutely at, once, at one point was true. But it's not true any longer when we're in Christ, when we've come to know you through your son Jesus, whom we have faith in. So, Lord, we pray that we would see ourselves exactly as you see us. That we would understand that in your eyes we're rescued and redeemed through your Son. And that the lives that we live would be lives that reflect the fact that we are that new creation you've made us to be. Thank you, Lord, for showing us all sorts of things that are just, they're interesting to think about when we think about the long narrative of how you've worked throughout the course of human history. They're delightful to think about as we walk with you. Lord, we're just grateful for all of these things, and we're grateful for your presence with us right now. We pray this all in accordance with your will, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.